You have seen from your notice sheet that my title this morning is Jesus the Master Trainer. You may be thinking that's a new one. I've heard of Jesus the Saviour, Jesus the Lord, Jesus the King, Jesus the Great High Priest, even Jesus Christ Superstar. But Jesus the Master Trainer, that's a new one. Well, let me tell you how I arrived at this title for my talk this morning. I've got a friend called Terry. I've known him for many years. He's not a Christian. Not yet. Every now and again we have a good talk. And I was talking to him about a month ago. And he was saying that he can't understand but that whenever he goes to church they talk about sin. And he couldn't see why he needed Jesus because he lived a good life. And there was nothing wrong with the way he was doing things. And it was one of those occasions, you will know them, when God suddenly drops into your mind the right word to say. Sometimes we only wake up to what that word was a day later, don't we? But <laughs> this was one of these occasions when right at the right moment I had the right word. And I said, look Terry, let me give you an illustration. I said, supposing I fancy myself as a bit of a DIY expert, and supposing I make a bookcase for my lounge, and there it is in the corner with my books on it, and I said, suppose you, Terry, are a master carpenter, and supposing you come into my house and I say, look, Terry, look at this marvellous bookcase that I've made, isn't it wonderful? And I said, you as the master carpenter, look at that bookcase and you see the joints aren't quite true. You see that the angles aren't right, that the wood is cheap, that there are smears of glue. And if I took, put too many heavy books on the shelves, it's going to sag terribly in the middle. Now I said to you, Terry, I said you could be very critical and say, what a load of rubbish. Or you could be more helpful, as I hope you would, and say, look, let me show you how to really create some good furniture. I'm a master carpenter, and I'll give you my time, and I will teach you how to do it. Now, you may not be trying your hand at DIY here this morning, but I think there are some of you, perhaps, who think, well, I'm getting an all right with my life. Why do I need God's help? But just transfer the illustration a little bit. Some of you are probably learning to play a musical instrument. Some of you, I know, are trying your hand at a bit of painting or sketching. Others of you, you men, might be trying some bricklaying or tiling. And so, Let's transpose the illustration and say, supposing the world's greatest guitarist said to you, look, I can give you a hand with your guitar lessons. Come under my wing. I'll teach you how to really play beautifully. Oh, an expert bricklayer may say, look, I'll show you how to do this. Bricklaying isn't easy, but look, I will spend some time with you and teach you how to do it. And so on. You get the idea, don't you, that whatever field of life we're talking about, we need the help of someone who really knows how to do it. And what are we going to say if we get that offer of help? Are we going to say, oh, no, 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 don't bother. I'm too busy. I've got too many other things to do. Or are we going to say, yes, 
I want to learn. I want to be a better carpenter. I want to be a better guitar player. I want to be a better writer. I want to be a better cook. I want to be better at this thing I'm trying to do because left to my own devices, I'm doing a second class job and it's all very mediocre. And what would it involve, this signing ourselves up as apprentices to some master trainer? What would it involve? It would involve some discipline, wouldn't it? It would involve some dedication on my part. I'd have to give time to spending time. It would involve commitment. I'd have to practice. It's no good just theory. I'd have to keep practicing at my flute or at my cooking or at my woodwork or whatever it was. And I hope that I would be very grateful to the expert who was giving me all that time and I would want to spend time with him or her and I would have to put my trust in that expert that he or she knew what they were doing. All this, this idea can be summed up in one word. Discipleship. Discipleship. Ah, you're saying, Mike, now you're talking. That's a Bible word. I know the word disciple. That's those 12 men who you called all those years ago and who wrote those marvellous things in what we call the Gospels. Well, you've got the answer partly right, but disciples didn't just apply to the 12 who were closest to Jesus. We read in the New Testament there are lots of others called disciples and in various places we can read of crowds of disciples. In fact, in our reading this morning, we read of crowds of people following. Because that word disciple means a learner, an apprentice, someone who's called on the help of a master trainer. Whatever sphere of life you're talking about, a disciple whether of a teacher, a philosopher, a religious leader, whatever. A disciple is someone who's got L plates on, someone who's learning, someone who's admitted, I'm not getting it right in my life. I'm dissatisfied with my second class job that I'm making of living this life. I want help. I want to sign up as an apprentice. And discipleship is what the church is all about. Because the last commandment Jesus gave to his disciples, when he met with them right there, it's recorded at the end of Matthew's Gospel, he said, go into all the world and preach the Gospel, make disciples of every nation. So the business of the church is to keep creating, making, training disciples and we all if we're sincere about being Christians we are in an apprenticeship we are learning from Jesus what does it mean to be an apprentice of Jesus what does it mean to be signed up to his master class Right at the start, it means not just wanting an easy fix to my problems in life. It means not just wanting to be a better person. 
It means first and foremost being attracted to Jesus Christ as a person. Are you attracted to him? For what he is, for who he is. Not just as someone who's the answer to my problems, someone who's going to answer my prayers, someone who's going to make things turn out right for me. How attracted am I to Jesus Christ? The man portrayed in the Gospels, the man we hear preached about, the man we hear portrayed in books, in films, the man who speaks to us in those quiet moments by his spirit. How attracted am I to him? Because to be a disciple of his, to be an apprentice, means to trust him. To absolutely commit my life to him and to say, yes, I want to follow in his steps, wherever it may lead me. What is it that attracts us to Jesus? I bought myself a new Bible, well rather, a new New Testament a few weeks ago. Tom Wright's new translation that he's taken from his commentaries. And I read right through the Gospel of Mark in one sitting. It doesn't take long. And you get a picture of Jesus, the man who stands head and shoulders above every other religious teacher, every other great leader. His openness, his integrity. He's not judgmental of people who are doing their best. He doesn't criticise the poor job people are making of their lives. He's open and helpful and wants them to come to him and to sit at his feet. He says, come to me, learn of me, take my yoke upon you. That's to be committed to walking alongside me and learn and learn. He commends Mary for sitting at his feet and for learning for listening to him because that's what being a disciple means we've got to be committed to our lessons we've got to see how Jesus does things and seek with his help to copy him I think Jesus has a magnetic personality he attracted people from all over the country to be with him, to follow him to listen to his teaching ordinary people were attracted to him. Those who had vested interest in their own status, in their own self-importance, were not attracted to him. They had too much to lose. But those who knew that they had so much to gain by following Jesus, those who saw in Jesus a model of what humanity should be, were attracted to him. Discipleship starts for you and for me with a personal relationship with Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't say to those men he was calling by the shores of Galilee, he didn't say to Peter, to Andrew, James, John, he didn't say, here, read this statement of faith and sign up on the bottom and if you can sign to all these things, you can be my disciple. Statements of faith are good in their place, but they're no substitute for a real, living, personal relationship with Jesus. Jesus didn't say, come to my meeting this Sunday. He didn't come to rearrange people's weekends. He came to bring us into a 
personal relationship with Jesus that would make us want to be with him. Church is wonderful. I'm a great preacher on the value of meeting together like we're doing this morning. But sitting on a church chair is no substitute for having the love of Jesus in your heart. Jesus didn't say, if you're good enough, you can be my disciple. I'll give you an entrance test to see if you qualify to be my disciple. No, he took on board people who were failing. If we had time, we'd look at several other scriptures, but I'll just bring to you in mind John chapter 21, where Jesus, after his resurrection, is there by the Sea of Galilee, and he's talking to Peter, and he challenges Peter as to whether Peter really has this heart relationship with him. Do you love me, Peter? And Peter, as you know, three times assures Jesus that he does love him. And Jesus gives Peter a commission. Because Jesus is in the business of training people to be useful. And he gives Peter a commission to feed my lambs, to feed my sheep. And Peter said, what about him over there? And Jesus said, never mind about him. What's important is that you follow me. And after three years of walking with Jesus, Peter again hears those words he heard right at the start. Follow me. Follow me. They're words we hear throughout our Christian life. Follow me. Don't worry about what people are saying. Don't worry about what he's doing or what she's doing. Follow me, says Jesus. Being a disciple doesn't mean being perfect. Let's get back to our illustration. Supposing you're on your apprenticeship with the master trainer. You're getting on fine with your flute playing or with your writing or with your cooking or with your carpentry. And someone looks at something you've done or someone listens to you play or sees something you've written. They said, oh, don't think much of that. What do you answer? You said, no, but I'm getting better and I've got a wonderful teacher. You may look at yourself sometimes and get discouraged and think, I'm not making a very good job of this business of being a Christian. But you're learning. And you've got a wonderful teacher and he's always ready to give you more time and he's always ready to hear you if you say, I'm sorry, Lord, I haven't been spending much time listening to you and learning from you. I want to spend more time in your presence. I want to learn. And Jesus is the patient teacher and he says, learn of me, all you who are weary and cast down with burdens, come to me and learn of me. Being a disciple means being a work in progress. Are you in progress or you're a bit of stagnant water that's been left and is, nothing's happening to her? It means sitting at Jesus' feet, learning of him, going back to square one, if you like, if you feel you've lost it and you feel you've got to go back to the first lesson, pick up your Bible, read the Gospels, read them again, and go back to square one. Fall in love with Jesus and start there as his pupil, sitting at his feet, walking with him. And as we walk with him, it's a wonderful thing. As we walk with Jesus, we find... There were lots of other people walking with Jesus too. Some of them we're surprised to see there. 
And as they're walking, they're stumbling. They're needing a helping hand because they're finding it difficult at times living the Christian life and they need our help and we help them to their feet and we help them to walk with Jesus and we encourage them and we share with them things that Jesus has taught us because we're all learning together. We're in his master class. We're all following, listening to, walking with, obeying Jesus, the master trainer. Because being a disciple means being in an ever-deepening relationship with Jesus Christ. We're entering a new year. You know that. And I've avoided preaching so far on the two-headed God of the Romans and all the other hackneyed New Year themes. But our elders have given us a challenging theme for this new year, for 2014. It's called Alive and it's theme is discipleship. We look back at 2013 and perhaps you're disappointed, perhaps you're discouraged with your spiritual progress last year. I don't know, perhaps you're feeling complacent. Didn't I do well? But we start a new year. It's symbolic, I know, but we turn over a new leaf and we're thinking about what it means to follow Jesus what it means in the quality of our lives as individuals, as a church. What does it mean for us as a church, collectively, to be in Jesus' masterclass, following him, learning of him? Because at the heart of all that we've been singing over this Christmas period, all those wonderful Christmas hymns, is Jesus Christ saying to ordinary people, follow me. Learn of me. He's saying this morning to you and to me at the start of this year, Jesus is saying to us, I don't want you just to put me on a pedestal to write beautiful things about me and say beautiful things about me and sing all these lovely songs about me. That's not enough. If you love me, said Jesus, you will obey what I tell you. If we're serious about signing ourselves up as apprentices to the master trainer, we won't say, oh, wasn't that a lovely lesson? We will remember what he taught us and we will put it into practice. And if we get it wrong, we'll resolve to do it better next time. And we won't be too proud to accept the help of other people who are also on this pathway, learning of him, seeking to put into practice lessons that sometimes are difficult but are going to make us the sort of person Jesus can use, are going to make us the sort of church that God can use in this new year, 2014. The sort of church that a prospective minister will look at and say, that's a wonderful church. I want to be part of that church. I want to be part of that church where God is at work, where people are seeking to learn from Jesus and people are growing in their faith. So where do we start? There may be someone here this morning who hasn't started on this, for whom this is entirely a new concept. Where do we start? Well, we start where those disciples did by the Sea of Galilee. In the reading Brenda read to us, they heard Jesus' voice. And they didn't sit down and work it out. They didn't have a debate about it. They followed him. And Jesus comes to us in the drabness, in the ordinariness of our lives and says, follow me. 
I want to make of your life something worthwhile. I want to make of your life something that I'm going to take pleasure in. I want you to be my disciple. Or perhaps he comes to us as he did to Peter by the Sea of Galilee three years later. You've been walking with Jesus. And like Peter, you've been making mistakes. You're ashamed of some of the things that you've done or some of the things you've failed to do. And Jesus comes to, be, to you and to me and says, do you love me? He says, forget about what everyone's saying. Forget about the past. Do you love me? Because at whatever stage you are in the Christian life, you can make a new start. You can make a new start this morning. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 50 years. You can make a new start. You can say, yes. I want to recapture that joy I had when I first turned to Christ. I want to be overpowered by the magnetism, by the joy of that unique personality of Jesus, the Son of God walking this earth and shining with all the beauty of the love of God. Is there a cost to all this? Yes, of course there is. Anything worthwhile in life comes with a cost. There's some lovely words that are very special to me. In Matthew's Gospel 16, verses 24 and 25, Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their soul will lose it. But whoever loses their soul for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? I heard those words many years ago and I said, yes, I put up my hand and I accept Christ as my saviour. And I've been learning ever since. And I haven't always got it right. Now you may be thinking, if you know your Bible, you may be thinking, that word there that I said soul, it's usually translated life. Whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. But in fact, the word translated life and soul is the same word. It's a Greek word, psuche, from which we get our word psychology. And it means our soul. What do you think of as your soul? What do you think of? Do you think of a, a little captive spirit inside there that is just waiting to flee away when you die and go to heaven? Let me read some words that Gerard Hughes wrote in his wonderful book, The God of Surprises. He says, soul means our very self, my very self. The deepest and most sensitive part of myself. The point of unity in all that I am. The soul manifests itself in everything I experience, whether consciously or unconsciously. All my longings and hopes... Fears and anxieties, restlessness and ambitions are expressions of my soul. And Jesus is saying, look, if you turn your back on me, you lose everything that is essentially you. But if you sign up to be my disciple, if you follow me, I can bring out everything that is beautiful within you. All the 
joys and glories of your character that I formed within you can come to their fruition. You will gain your soul, all that is really makes you, you, that makes you and you and you unique if you follow me, if you're my disciple. And Jesus says, repent and believe this good news. It's good news. Repent. Does that worry you when Jesus says repent? The word repent just means turn. Turn from your second class strivings, from all that you've attempted to do in your life, and turn. And hear the good news that Jesus, the master trainer, is willing to take you on board whatever your lack of qualifications, however suitable you may be, however fumbling and bumbling your efforts at living a good life may have been. And Jesus said, I can take you on board. That's the good news. Turn from all that and turn and embrace the love that I'm offering you. Over the coming weeks... We're going to be thinking about this theme, this exciting theme of walking with Jesus. And during the year we're going to see what it means in all its different aspects. We're going to be thinking about the dynamic difference that Jesus Christ can make to your life and mine and to the life of this church. We're going to be reminding ourselves that it's only as we rest in him, only as we abide in him, remain in him, that we can draw that strength to be the sort of person he wants us to be. We'll be reminding ourselves that Jesus is looking for our lives to produce fruit. He wants our lives in this new year not just to be a humdrum waste of time, but he wants your lives to be bearing fruit. Fruit in your own life and character. Fruit in terms of what you can do in his service. And we need to remind ourselves that along the way there's going to be some pruning, some cleansing, because Jesus wants us to share in his holiness. But no way are we signing up to a program in all this. Let's come back to our main point this morning. All this is about you and me having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We're not talking about 12 steps to a holy life. We're talking about getting to know Jesus better. Asking him to be our master trainer as we sign up to be his apprentices, his disciples. And the offer is there this morning. And Jesus is looking for a response from us. Are we going to say, no thanks, Jesus? Sounds beautiful, but I prefer my own comfortable way of living. I don't want to be too disturbed. Or are we going to sign up? Are we going to say, yes, Lord, I want in 2014 everything that you have for me... I want us to embrace as a church everything that you have for us. May we not just be turning over the same things time and time again, but may we be breaking new ground. May we be stepping forward. May we be walking with you, wherever it may lead us. Because the most important thing for us and for our church is to be close to Jesus, his disciples, learning of him.